Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, guys. This is our finale. It's a pretty big deal. Mike check, testing one, two. Hello. I must say, it's been quite a journey. Hey, uh, Anders, can you hear me? Yes. Oops, sorry. I was hollering in there. <laughs> yes, I'm here. <laughs> is this David? Yes, it is. Hey. How are you, Vic? I'm doing great. It's a good day for baseball, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> people have opened up their lives on this show to help you and the people you love to not feel so alone in recovery. Maybe if I hadn't had this gambling addiction, I would have just gone through the rest of my life with all these unaddressed, undealt with issues. More than a year of research, preparation, interviews, sound design, and music production went into this show. We even had a live event. Families band together in this way that they don't even sometimes have a choice. It's just what makes, I think, addiction a social disease. It makes it a family event. None of it would have been possible without the support of listeners just like you. So my question before we get into today's interview, do you value this show? And would you make a donation to support Back From Broken? I'm really just glad that um, I've just grown to this point and like my heart is full. You can hit pause right now and give whatever you can to support this show and the people who make it at backfrombroken.org. Okay, with that out of the way, on to the show. And I want to let you know that this episode contains some strong language and graphic descriptions of child abuse. Please be advised. In three, two, one. And I was drinking and I was smoking pot. And I'm like, man, there needs to be a wrestler called a snake. Oh, (laughs) hell yeah. And I kept smoking that weed. And the next thing I'm thinking about is, man, you can like put the snake on people. It would freak them out so much, man. Oh, my God, they're going to go crazy. They're going to shit their pants, whatever. That's the reason they call pot dope. (laughs) Because when you're smoking weed, you don't. Normally, you don't think the idea all the way through. (laughs) And that's what happened in this instance because um, the idea was phenomenal. I mean, that's that's a, there's none better. Sure. But one problem, I'm terrified of snakes. Aurelian Jake Smith Jr. was a wrestler competing in the South in smaller wrestling circuits and struggling to create a catchy character for himself until he had that idea. He stuck with it and eventually got him all the way to a meeting with World Wrestling Federation boss, Vince McMahon. His words were they had a spot for someone that was going to wear spandex tights, uh, purple and lime green. Okay. And I'm like, oh, hell no. (laughs) I'm not wearing that BS. (laughs) But you won't catch me dead in that crap. So as I'm shaking my head, he says, and carry a huge python. And before I could say, oh, hell no, he had written some numbers on a piece of paper, and he slid it over to me. And I looked down at it, and I'm like, wait, and there's one, two, three, four, (laughs) five, six zeros. So that would be, are you, 
one one million. <clears throat> you know what, Vince? You got to be a real tough guy to wear purple and lime green. I think I'd like to try that. <laughs> and uh, the snake thing, don't worry about it, man. I got that. You know, I lied right through my teeth because you're offering me a million dollars, man. He was now Jake the Snake Roberts. And if he was afraid of that 15-foot python he carried with him wherever he went, you'd never know it. He would eventually become a Hall of Fame wrestler and one of the baddest bad guys in wrestling history. I grew up in the 1980s during the golden age of the World Wrestling Federation, now known as the WWE, and Jake the Snake was one of my favorites. Some of his matches, like when he wrestled in front of a huge crowd at WrestleMania III with shock rocker Alice Cooper in his corner, are cherished memories for me. But for Jake, all the money, all the fame, those memories are bittersweet. Being in the ring with Hogan, with, with Macho Man, and yeah. having the snake bite Macho Man, which is an <laughs> iconic moment in wrestling. <laughs> being in buildings with 60, 70, 80,000 people, setting records everywhere we went. Those were great moments, but I wasn't enjoying them. I'm Vic Vela. I'm a journalist, a storyteller, and a recovering drug addict. And this is Back From Broken from Colorado Public Radio. Stories about the highest highs, the darkest moments, and what it takes to make a comeback. Jake has racked up a lot of wins in wrestling and a lot of losses in life. Some of his story sounds too crazy to be true when you first hear it. And if you're skeptical when you're listening, that might be because Jake made his living in an industry that's not exactly known for its authenticity. I guess help, because there's going to be a lot of people listening who who may not know much about wrestling aside mm-hmm. from... Uh, uh, that they they know it's fake or whatever or scripted. Yeah. What what? How mm. real is wrestling? Um, as far as it being fake, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, because when I hit you, I'm gonna I'm gonna whack you. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna rattle your teeth a little bit. So if I'm in and the ring with you, you, if I'm in yeah, the ring with you, you're, I'm gonna feel it. Oh hell yeah! Oh <laughs> hell yeah! I always called it the theater of the absurd. I love it. Um, I love it. We know we know what we're doing. <laughs> uh, we know the ending. Um, how we get there is up to us. And Jake's approach in the ring was about psychology. When a lot of wrestlers were flexing their biceps and yelling at the top of their lungs to show how tough they were, Jake would be trying to get into their heads. Brother, every night when I lay down to sleep, do you think I pray the Lord my soul to keep? I've never asked forgiveness from any man or anyone. Do you think I'll start now? To me, it was like a chess match, uh, manipulating the fans to make them smile, to make them angry. You brought them right to the edge, and then you set them back down a little bit. There's nothing on four wheels I can't drive, and there's not an animal I'm afraid of. So show me something new. Anybody, step up. Give me something exciting. I always wanted to endear people to wrestle me because they knew that I was going to take care of them out there. I was going to knock the hell out of them, but I wasn't going to hurt them. There's there's an unseen line that's drawn across the sand, and you're not supposed to go past it. As a professional, Jake understood that line. 
that wrestling was about performing. But he didn't understand what was going on when he was a young kid watching his dad wrestle. Uh, we were scared to death when they, he would be wrestling this tag team called the Assassins because they always made him bleed. And that was just what they were doing, you know. And uh, he would act it out at home, and we were scared to death he was going to get killed. You guys weren't in on the act. No, no, we weren't. We weren't. We believed it 100%. Um, I remember Harley Race jumping off of a 10-foot ladder onto his throat. I, I just knew that he killed my father. And my dad took like two months off. And on TV, they were saying broken neck and all this stuff. And man, I was horrified. And uh, no, I wasn't, the term is smartened up to what was going on. And uh, I, I really hated my father for that once I found out the truth because it tormented me as a child every night worrying that my dad was going to die. So I hated wrestling. I hated wrestling all my life because my father never raised me. Mm. And I thought wrestling had taken him away from me as a child. That's what I blamed it on. But seeing his dad get beat up in the ring wasn't even close to the most traumatic thing Jake had to deal with as a child. Nearly every adult in his life let Jake down in a serious way. And no one in the family was spared from his dad's destruction. I just want to warn you again that Jake is about to talk about some really awful, traumatic memories right here. My mother had me when she was 13 years old, man. My father was dating my grandmother, and she passed out from drinking. And my father went into the next room and raped a 12-year-old girl. And that's how I came into this world. My younger brother was given away to, to my aunt and uncle because they couldn't have kids. And my mother was only... <laughs> My mother was only 18 years old, and she had three kids, you know, and uh, no job. And my father divorced her, yeah. and he left, you know, and left me with my grandparents till my grandmother died. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a good woman. My grandfather was a hopeless alcoholic, and that was horrible. I didn't bring kids to my house because my grandfather would be sitting and laying on the couch, puked on, pissed on, whatever. You know, that was a daily routine, man. So when I got the opportunity to live with my dad, I thought, man, I'm finally going to be happy. My stepmother used to, uh, well, she used to wear things and uh, leave buttons open. Then at night, after my little brother and sister went to bed, uh, I could hear her come down the hallway, and I could count the steps. Man, I knew exactly how many steps it was, 16 steps. And she would open the door and come in and tap me and take me into the room and make me perform sexually. And uh, I was a young kid, man. I was 13 years old, you know. And uh, then afterwards, she would beat me with a hairbrush or whatever she just happened to grab a hold of, man. And tell me that if my dad found out that he would kill me and all this shit, man. Uh, one time she had beaten me pretty bad and my dad noticed the marks on me and he asked me what happened and I didn't say anything, but I looked at her and, and he said, well, this is going to, this has got to stop. And he got really angry and she looked at me and she mouthed the words, I'll get even with you. And that day we uh, had spaghetti for dinner 
And as uh, we were sitting at the table and she went to hand me the plate of spaghetti and as she handed it across the table, she dumped it in my lap. Well, it was boiling hot. It had just come out of the pot. Oh my so gosh. it scalded my lap. Um, that was no accident. Well, you're so, talking about it so openly now as an adult, but at yeah. the time, how did you deal with all of this trauma as a child? It, it was driving me crazy. Uh, I finally, I put up with it for about eight months and I, I left and I went to live with my mother. After I graduated from school, my father did not come to my graduation and I went down to see him several months later and Hey, did you know I graduated? You know, I know you never came to a football game or a baseball game. I was really good at baseball. You should have seen me, you know. But, but, you know, and confronted him with it, and he's like, well, uh, you're going to college? I said, yeah. He goes, well, I hope you don't want anything from me. I don't have it to spare. Oh, Jake, that's heartbreaking. And I didn't want his money, man. I wanted him to say he was proud of me. But he, he didn't do it. And uh, uh, several nights later, I was at a show, and he was wrestling, and I was drinking. <sighs> the alcohol and youth and ignorance told me if I wanted to impress my father, the only way I was going to be able to do that is to get in the ring and wrestle one of those wrestlers. Okay. So then that was all you needed. So I went up and challenged a guy, and um, he proceeded to tear my ass apart. Uh, basically, after he got through with me, I crawled out of the ring into the locker room on my hands and knees. I couldn't stand up. I was hurting so bad. And uh, my father was right there at the door, and I opened it up, and uh, he looked down at me, and he goes, I'm ashamed of you. You're gutless, and you'll never amount to anything. And turned and walked away. Jake. I, uh, I wanted to die. I wanted to die so bad, man. I kept looking around the room and people were just shaking their heads or laughing at me and uh, it was hor horrible. And um, that night, I remember that night like yesterday, I uh, laid in bed and I, I begged the devil to help me. And uh, I made a deal with the devil that I would do anything that it took to get where I needed to be, which was the top of the wrestling heap so I could show my father that I was better than he was. Jake's father even tried to sabotage his early wrestling career. He called promoters and told them not to work with Jake, his own son. But after a decade of perseverance, teaching himself everything he knew, Jake eclipsed his father's career. And in 1986, he reached the top of the wrestling heap like he so badly wanted when he signed with Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation. The music you hear in the background could mean only one thing about to make his way down. Jake the Snake along with Damien. And his opponent from Stone Hilton, Georgia, weighing 249 pounds, Jake the Snake Roberts. There's a look in those eyes that uh, I wouldn't care to have looking at me. Just. And Jake was a big hit with the fans. That green and purple spandex he talked about earlier was now part of his everyday ring attire. And Damien, the huge python, was his companion as he traveled around the country. You know, my day was like this. I'm in a hotel room. I've got to get the snake out of the bathtub. <laughs> Gee, I hope he's in a good mood. Why is he in the bathtub? 
because you got to do something with them at night. You just can't <laughs> leave them locked up in that little bag. Okay. Did it ever escape? Oh, yeah, yeah. It come right out of that tub in a split second. The shower curtain usually went first. <laughs> um, one time, well, several times, it would wrap around the, the hot water and turn the water on and scald himself. Uh, which makes for a very pissed off snake. Oh, man. Um, it broke a toilet one time, and that water was going everywhere. And I called the front desk, and I'm like, hey, man, uh, my snake broke the toilet. <laughs> and of course, they opened the door and screamed. And when they screamed, they're like, what is it? There's that snake. I'm like, what snake? I don't have a snake. And they're like, what? You know, and went with that for a few seconds. But then, uh, of course, you know, I had to fess up. Yeah, that's mine, which that was not the first hotel I've been kicked out of. There were several. Jake introduced Damien at WrestleMania 2, which is like the Super Bowl for wrestling. Not, oh, no. Oh, no. We're I, not going to see. I can't wait. Millions of fans around the world watched on pay-per-view as he draped the snake over the body of his defeated opponent, who was foaming at the mouth as part of the act. Let's see what... Oh, my goodness! Look at that! The snake literally slithering right over to George Wells' head. Look at that! And now, Jake and Damien were celebrities. Jake often headlined as the WWF toured the country, Merchandise and kids' action figures toys were sold in his likeness. But being world famous came with a pretty relentless touring schedule. They were running three cities a night. The wrestlers were, were going from Seattle to Tampa to Philadelphia to Dallas and back and forth the country to Canada, you know, to Hawaii and back and forth, zigzag, zigzag. We just went. And um, we went for long stretches of time. I wrestled Ricky Steamboat 93 days straight. That's a lot of wear and tear. Oh, it was insane, man. I mean, I had to have my wife come on the road and lead me around because I, I wasn't talking anymore. I just mumbled. My body was so beaten. And you were still a young yet, man at this time. Yeah. So a lot of us were getting steroids to try to help heal our bodies. We had doctors in certain places that would give us anything. Um, there was a doctor in uh, Hershey Park, Pennsylvania, that would literally come to the building with six or seven suitcases full of drugs. And we would get everything that we wanted or needed. I was pretty much uh, steroids and um, sleeping pills. Okay. That's what I, that's what I did in, in the beginning. Then later on, I added pain pills, you know, and it was pretty scary. But yet, when that bell rang, I would somehow pull my pants on and strap them on tight and go out there and do it one more time. Jake was starting to lose control. He was a slave to the character he had created, but the physical and mental toll it was taking was worth it for that feeling of acceptance that his father never gave him. He found it in the ring with other legendary wrestlers, Guys who, even if you're not a fan, you've probably heard of. Hulk Hogan, Macho Man Randy Savage, and the one and only Andre the Giant, a seven foot five, 500 pounder nicknamed the eighth wonder of the world. I got a feeling I know Andre's that, gonna torture this guy too. I know the determination of Jake the Snake Roberts. Hey, you can have all the determination you want. He's in there with a giant. He is. He was a great wrestler, a great man. 
to be considered worthy to be in the ring with him, to be considered good enough to beat him. You know, that, that's just unfucking believable. Look at those two ham hocks right around the neck of Jake. I wrestled him for six months every night, every night for six months, and had some great moments in the ring with him, and then had some rough moments in the ring with him. He, he sat on me one time and farted for 40 seconds. It was horrible. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't a tight-sounding thing. It wasn't a... It okay. was more of a... You know? Oh, the magic, and, of, uh, the magic of radio. I love it. Right now, Andre having a good time at the expense of Jake the Snake Roberts. You, you talked about all the pain you were going through, but this, this was a guy who would provide you with moments of joy. Oh, yeah. I, I'd have given 10 matches with Hogan away to have one match with Andre. Jake said his favorite thing to do in between matches was play cribbage with Andre the Giant. <laughs> yes, a couple of huge, intense wrestlers in locker rooms surrounded by testosterone and drugs, enjoying rare serenity playing a card game. But for Jake, those peaceful moments with Andre were the only times he was really happy. You're wrestling in front of tens of thousands of people, WrestleMania, mm -hmm. Andre the Giant, all these things. But at the time, drugs and alcohol were getting in your way. Yeah, I was getting out of control. I was, I was drinking every night. Um, basically, you'd do the show and uh, you'd go to the bar and you'd drink to closing go to the room, pass out, get up and leave at 7. <laughs> so you're getting three or four hours sleep a night, but you're taking pills that'll get you through periods of no rest. Mm -hmm. Or you start even delving into cocaine is what we did. So mm -hmm. uh, once you got into all that, man, it was a freight train, and um, I flunked a couple of drug tests, uh, went into rehab once for them, and um, come back out and didn't 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 phase me at all. Okay. I think on the way home from the rehab I got a twelve pack, you know. <laughs> but I was I was running loose, man, and um it started getting worse and worse. Jake had already had one marriage fall apart while this was going on, and it looked like his second one was going that way too. By the mid nineties he was starting to not even show up for his matches. And Jake's problems with drugs and alcohol were becoming widely known in wrestling. In fact, in 1996, during an event called SummerSlam, his opponent, Jerry the King Lawler, kept taunting Jake over his problems with alcohol. I thought you, you know, Jake's had it. He's been a little under the weather. He's got barthritis. That's where you're stiff in a different joint every night. <laughs> After the match, Lawler even poured booze down Jake's throat. He's not going to do this to Jake. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's raw. That's raw booze. He's dumping down Jake's throat. Look at this. Well, Jake's off the wagon now for sure. Might as well make a night of it now, Jake. Jake agreed to that storyline, which he now regrets. He has a lot of regrets from around this time, as his addiction was becoming beyond unmanageable. And then my wife hit me with divorce papers, and when she hit me with divorce papers, it was pedal to the metal all the way down. I don't give a F anymore. I'm going to smoke that crap, drink as much as I want, and screw every whore I can meet. And um, I did so for, you know, 15 years. 
but I just didn't care anymore, man. Uh, I was I was dying to die. I wanted out. Y- y- yeah, nothing mattered. I hated life. I hated life. Were you suicidal? I tried a couple of times. All I would do is puke on myself. I'd wake up with puke all over me, and I'd think to myself, man, you're such a loser, you can't even die right. Gosh, Jake. I, I remember hearing about other wrestlers dying and me cursing God because you're not letting me die. What did I do to you that you want to keep me alive when I don't want to live? Um, to the point of breaking the mirrors in my house because I didn't want to see myself anymore because I looked so bad. Um, doing all this cocaine and my weight blows up. Figure that out. Unless <laughs> the alcohol you're drinking with the cocaine. Yeah. All the money I got, I spent on drugs, period. After the break, the phone call that helped Jake turn things around. Hey, it's Vic. I really appreciate you being a back from broken listener. It means a lot. Now, can you do me a favor? Can you take a moment to find Back From Broken on whatever podcast app you use, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and give us a like, a rating, and even a review? If you think what we're doing matters, if you think it's important to talk about recovery with compassion and hope, all you got to do to help spread the word is like, rate, or review this podcast. It really does help other people find Back From Broken. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio. At this point, Jake had spent 15 years in a downward spiral of heavy drugs and alcohol. No one would hire him to wrestle anymore, and any money he would get went toward his addiction. He had spent his life being a different persona in order to show up his father and prove he was worth something. But now he was out of shape, alone, and miserable when he got a phone call. It was from an old friend. Twisted individual, it's Diamond Dallas Page. You know, Page has always been confident, but he's got some edge. I don't know what the He was a guy that I taught how to wrestle and uh, got him into wrestling when he was 36 years old, which means really that's when you should be getting out, not getting in. Thanks to Jake, Diamond Dallas Page became one of the biggest stars in wrestling. But when he called Jake, he was at a different point in his career, too. Diamond Dallas Page! Dallas had created a program called DDP Yoga, and he needed people to try it and see if it worked. He wanted Jake to give it a try. I'm like, dude, you know, uh, yeah, I appreciate you offering, but I, you know, I, I'm too busy. I can't do it because I didn't <laughs> want him to see me. Sure. Dallas, I'm done, man. Don't, don't waste your time with me. Mm. And uh, so he came out and seen me and said, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> and um, made me a deal I couldn't, couldn't pass up. He said, look, I'll move you to Atlanta. I'll pay for the move, everything. You'll live with me. I'll feed you the best food on this planet. And uh, you start doing my workout daily, and I'll pay all your bills. Wow. Excuse me? (laughs) I'll pay all your bills. I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're going to pay my ex-wife. I'll come and do your stupid shit, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And um, he's like, that's the deal. But you can't drink or drug. I'm like, whoa. But I, 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 for some reason, I said, yeah, man, I'm in. 
I figured going out there, I'd last a week before he kicked my ass out because I thought there's no way in hell I can go cold turkey. But I guess that was my gift from God. Before Dallas came to Jake with this offer, Jake had been to rehab four times and nothing ever stuck. But once he moved to Atlanta to work the DDP yoga program, something clicked. He says it wasn't just the yoga. A big part of it was the deal Dallas made with Jake, his willingness to take care of Jake's finances for as long as he needed to be there. You go into rehab for 90 days, okay? You're locked in, basically. Well, at the end of those 90 days, they release you. But here's the problem. While you've been in there for 90 days, your bills have been mounting. Mm. Your house payments, your car payments, your job's gone. You come out and you've got all these people wanting, 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 give me that, give me that, give it. Hey, man, you owe me. And they're all over you like flies. Yeah. And what do you do? You pick up again, man, because you just want it to be quiet. Yeah, you nailed you it. You just want it to be quiet. You man. just nailed it. It's so hard yeah, living man. life on life's terms when you. Yeah, when you get it clean. is, man. Good God, man. So with Dallas, I was able to knock 80 pounds off. Wow. 80 pounds. And I got my strength back, and I got my conditioning back, and I got my, my get up and go back. I looked in the mirror and I said, dude, look at you, man. <laughs> you know, when you're down and out, man, a little light is so big mm. for you. All of a sudden, I started getting a little self-esteem back, a little pride back. Those things had been gone for a long time. Man. That's great, Jake. So in the beginning, um, I screwed up five times. Mm. Um, and what I would do is I would somehow get away from my group of guys or I'd go get my hair cut and I'd slip out the door and yeah. go over and buy a pint of whiskey and I'd down it and then I got to go back to the house and, of course, they smell it, you know, and there you go. Oh, these were like super fast relapses, in and out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah in and out within an hour. Wow. You know? Relapses are common in recovery, and getting clean was a tough go for Jake, seeing as how he had been using heavy drugs for a really long time. The physical transformation he was able to make meant that eventually he could go to a place that he'd long been associated with and conquer it. You see, in wrestling, Jake was billed as Jake the Snake Roberts from Stone Mountain, Georgia. It's pretty common for promoters to change up performers' hometowns just to add to the theater of the absurd, as Jake called it. In recovery, Jake worked hard to stay in shape and control his life. And at age 63, he achieved a major accomplishment. He climbed the real Stone Mountain. Man, each step you take, it's like one more, one more, one more. And you keep looking up and you still got a ways to go. And uh, then you get to the last part and it's like there's 150 steps that go basically straight up, it seems like, and you got to make those. And uh, it, it's an awesome feeling to get to the top and then look back over the city of Atlanta. When you walked up that mountain, was that was there something metaphorical to that? Yeah, there basically was. I'm back on top because there was a long time in my life. There's no way in hell I could have climbed that mountain. 
Yeah. Because of my drug use and what it had done to my body, um, just there's no way in hell I could have done it. And uh, now to do it, yeah, hell yeah, I'm back. I'm back in a big way too. I'm I'm kicking doors open. I'm taking names. I'm slapping asses. Uh, I'm smiling as I do it. You know. So. You used to hate looking. That's about it. You used to. Yeah, I hated looking at the mirror, but now I can look in that mirror and I tell myself, you know what, dude, you're, you're a pretty good some bitch. You know that, <laughs> and I can smile. I'm smiling right now, you know, and uh, it feels good to smile, man. It and, does. Uh, there, there were so many years that I couldn't smile at all. Jake smiles also because he's finally gotten real with himself and his fans. He recalls a big moment in his recovery when he was living with Dallas Page in Atlanta. I remember getting a big blackboard and putting it up in my room and and writing down the things that I wanted out of life and um, writing down, you know, wanting a relationship with my children, you know, wanting to be free of drugs and alcohol, wanting to be happy again, and all the positive things I could think of. That's great. And, uh, th- that was awesome. Diamond Dallas and Jake filmed his transformation as he did the program. It became a documentary called The Resurrection of Jake the Snake. That's where he cast off his wrestling persona and told the public about all the awful abuse he went through as a child. Now, he was feeling love from wrestling fans who finally knew the real Jake. In in recovery, they teach you that if you'll just stick with it, all of a sudden you will be rained on with gifts. Mm. And I didn't buy into that at all. And then it started happening. I had people come up to me and say, Jake, after seeing your story, I understand why my dad drank. I understand the torment he was going through. And now I don't hate him near as much. Wow. Because I understand. And I get I get letters from kids that say, Jake, my daddy watched Resurrection. He loves it, and now he don't drink anymore. And guess what? He's moving back in with me and mommy. That's amazing. Man, how much better do you want it? I'm out here helping people now simply by telling my story and standing in front of them and saying, hey, look at me. I'm still alive, man. Look at this shit. Can you believe this? Because I shouldn't be here. But I am. The, what I love right now is I, I'm, I'm hearing the, the tone in your voice shift from when you were talking yeah. about some dark places earlier yeah. to the pride I oh, could yeah, see man. coming out of your voice right now. Yeah, I'm warm right now. I'm glowing a little bit, man. And, and, and that's, why I, that's why I like being sober, man. That's, that's what fuels me every day, you know? I mean, sobriety is beautiful. Now, Jake has actually learned to love himself. He's retired from wrestling, but he's found a second career as a stand-up comedian and storyteller. He talks to audiences about the fun times, like getting kicked out of hotels for keeping a python in the bathtub. But he also talks about never giving up on people who are struggling. And I gotta tell you, as we wrap up this season of Back From Broken, my interview with Jake was one of my favorite conversations I've had with anyone in recovery and in my 20 years of journalism. I mean, I used to play with Jake's toy action figure when I was a boy. (laughs) 
Now here we are relating to each other's pain and recovery journeys. Jake has one more thing to say, a challenge he makes for all of us. My challenge is this. There's not one person on this planet that doesn't know somebody that's in trouble with drugs or alcohol. Are you going to be the Diamond Dallas Page in their life? Mm. It's, it's hard to help people that don't want help. But you got to be there, man. You got to keep knocking on that door. You don't take no for an answer. Keep challenging them. Keep barking at them. Help them. That's beautiful. Help another one. Help somebody else. And then pretty soon you're going to start getting high off of it. Back from Broken is a show about how we are all broken sometimes and how we need help from time to time. If you're struggling with addiction, you can find a list of resources at our website, backfrombroken.org. Well, this is the season finale, and I can't tell you just how much your support of this podcast has meant to me. It wasn't that long ago when I was smoking crack behind dumpsters and ruining my health and finances with heavy drug use every day. So the fact that I'm even alive and talking to other people about their own recovery journeys is really just mind-blowing to me. So thank you for listening from the bottom of my heart. And we may even have a surprise for you in the coming months, so make sure you stay subscribed. In the meantime, please share these stories with people who could use them. And make sure you go back and listen to other episodes you may have missed earlier in the season. Thank you for your comments, encouragement, and support at backfrombroken.org. Back From Broken is hosted by me, Vic Vela. It's a production of Colorado Public Radio's Audio Innovation Studio and CPR News. Thanks to people in recovery who helped us develop this podcast. Ben, Matthew, Sean, and Mateo, thank you so much for your guidance. The Back From Broken team is Rebecca Romberg, John Pinno, Matthew Simonson, Rachel Estabrook, Brad Turner, and Kevin Dale. Thanks also to Daniel Mesher, Francie Swidler, Kim Wynn, Hart Van Denberg, and Kevin Beatty. And a big thanks again to you for listening.